Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. I've known Dan Bickley and known of Dan Bickley for a long time. No, that doesn't make him old. Makes me old. Sports columnist, on-air radio show host, Arizona Sports 98.7 FM. Really good follow on Twitter. Tweeting stuff about NASA. And other things. Dan Bickley joining us from the face of the sun in, in Arizona. What's the temperature there? What's what's the temp? Oh, it's about it's a, it's a hundred in hell outside here, man. And it's and it's swampy on top of it, dude. Seriously, I, I, I made a run to the store about a half an hour ago, and I saw nobody on the road. I mean, nobody on the roads. It is a dystopian, Hades kind of nightmare in Arizona right now. <laughs> We're talking to Mad Max, who's in the desert of Arizona. Yeah, me. Dan, That's Dan, me. Dan, let me ask you, uh, because you know, I, I know I joined your show, but I kind of want to have our listeners kind of get your impression and maybe the region that you work in, when this all broke, USC, UCLA, what was the reaction of the typical uh, Phoenix, Arizona, Arizona State fan? The, um, the reaction has been very fascinating because this is news of a seismic variety. This is ground-shaking kind of stuff. But to understand how far ASU has fallen in the last couple of years in the Valley, you have to understand how traumatized uh, the diehard Sun Devil fans are, uh, no matter how many they may be. Uh, there was a time when we went in the Valley here from laughing at this idea of Herm Edwards as head coach and this professional model unveiled by Michael Crow and Ray Anderson to kind of stepping back going, oh, my goodness, they're actually recruiting California. Look at them flex. Look at Antonio Pierce. Look at his staff. This is actually happening and then the bottom fell out of the tub. And and after that happened, um, we experienced this incredible year of denial last year from the football program where they all tried to act like nothing was wrong when everything was wrong. And and I talked to no, no fewer than 15 diehard alumni who had quite literally lost their faith. They had lost their religion. They had lost everything. They had realized that, look, we have not competed for a Rose Bowl in 25 years. It's about time we wake up and realize it's never going to happen for us. So this news that has happened with the Pac-12 has come at a time when the ASU fan base, I don't think, has ever been more apathetic um, or or more numb to everything that is going on. And yet I I do believe they understand that there is this incredible – uh, weirdness happening all around them. And, and listen, uh, you and John Wilner, you, you guys are a credit to this conference. Um, you guys are the shining lights of journalism when it comes to the Pac-12. You've enlightening, been enlightening people for years about this. And I'm not just saying that because that you and I are friends, but because it's the truth, and you know this to be true. 
Michael Crow is is a guy right now who I believe is really stuck between a couple of different ideals. Number one, if you really want to become a football-centric school, if you really want to become that sleeping giant that has sort of come awake, the the Big 12 offers a lot to you if you're ASU and if you're an Arizona school. But at the same time, Michael Crow completely vibes on this innovation and the changes in the academia at Arizona State University. And and to be honest, the latter is no joke. I've been around here a long time. I remember when ASU, as an academic institution, was uh, far inferior to what it is now. It has really become, uh, both my kids are there. They both love it. They feel intellectually challenged. Uh, Dr. Michael Crow's done incredible things in upgrading the quality of education at ASU, uh, but at the same time, um, there have been a lot of blind spots that have been created, and there have been blind spots in the name of Larry Scott, um, who Michael Crow has looked at and gone, oh, there's a guy with innovation and big dreams and big ambition, big ideas, and he likes to spend a lot of money. I, I relate to that, and, and he's believed in that. And, and I think ASU is stuck on the fence now between where, what do we want to be and where do we want to go? Do we want to be part of a conference that's that's known for academia and innovation, or do we want to go to a conference? Do we want to travel to Stillwater? Do we want to be part of Land Grant U? Uh, I, I think they really don't have much of an idea of what they want to accomplish here. Uh, but, but it's par for the course with what's going on in college football at the moment. We're talking to Dan Bickley, Arizona sports columnist, radio show host, Arizona State is interesting here because when this breaks, immediately people began to speculate that Arizona State would jump to the Big 12. Um, I'm hearing from some athletic directors in the conference that right now they are galvanized. But, you know, how tempting is that for Arizona State right now to look over and go, hey, maybe uh, maybe they have the answer that the Pac-12 doesn't have? The um, I, I think when you look at what at what's happening at, at a possible salvage, if you're talking about a Pac-12 that can be salvaged after the departure mostly of USC and of course UCLA, and and uh, you and I know that the logistics of this are absolutely absurd. That you know UCLA and Penn State could play a conference volleyball match in the coming years. It, it just it it strikes at the sensibility of all of this. I think if you look at a Pac-12, and if you reimagine it as a 12-team conference, and you look at a Southern division that has ASU and, and Arizona and Colorado and Utah, and you get your four border states, and then maybe you throw in a San Diego state and maybe a Fresno state, and, and you have Oregon and Cal and Stanford and, and Washington and Washington state and Oregon state anchoring the North, it's not bad. But, but at the same time, to me, it also requires a great spirit of – of cooperation between the schools. There can't be any bitterness. There has to be something that we are all in this together, and we are not only going to make the most of this, we are going to really try to max this thing out. And there's elements involved in all of those schools that I mentioned, um, uh, particularly with Phil Knight in Oregon and and the television market um, here in the Valley, that, that, that you could actually build a real strong case for it. But at the same time, uh, where does that leave you? Uh, I, I know, for instance, you know, I, I talk to people in the Valley and I talk to alumni at both Arizona and ASU, and, and by way of something that your listeners might be able to kind of relate to, 
there's a lot of people here in the Valley who just kind of scoff at the fact that, oh, you know, Oregon once thought that they were the leaders in college athletics. Where are they now when, when television rankings are running the ship and, and, and when TV rankings and markets are, are determining everything? That is exactly the kind of vibe and atmosphere that would make a revamped Pac-12 fail before it even got started. There would have to be a total, everybody committed 100% to what you were trying to accomplish um, under George Klyavkov to, to even give this thing a shot at working. Um, I, I, if it was me, that's where I would go. I, I, I would not want to give up on what make and what makes and what has made the Pac-12 really good um, for the for the obvious appeals of the Big 12 as a basketball slash football conference. Um, and, and I think that's where they're going, and I think there's going to be a lot of individual negotiations. I think that in a revamped Pac-12, I think there's some schools who might think they ha- have right to more equity than others, particularly yes. any newcomers you might invite. But, but I think that's exactly the kind of vibe that would kill this thing before it even gets started. It would really have to be a true pure partnership if it has a chance to work. Dan Bickley with us uh, from Arizona. Dan, that's one of the things I was, I've been wondering about with Arizona State because if television households are running the show, you look at Arizona State's television footprint in Phoenix, and if I'm ASU, I might be inclined to go, hey, I'm worth more than Salt Lake City. I'm worth more than the state of Oregon. Uh, you know, I need to get more than a one share. Do you think that's on the table for ASU or, you know, I guess we're speculating, but where, where their head might be on that? Yeah, and, and, and I've, I've actually wondered about the same things and I've asked those same kind of questions and, and nobody quite seems to know what ASU wants. And, and, and ASU in Arizona, obviously, by the Charter, the charter of Arizona um, schools, they're, they're a, 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 a a combo platter, so it, it, that's that. But but from an ASU perspective, uh, I, I'm not exactly sure whether or not um, they would be looking to to, to kind of gain more equity than other schools involved, just based on the numbers. Because here here's the truth of it all. Um, I, I would venture to guess in your state, among your listeners, this story is um gigantic because you have got at least with the ducks a school that has been periphery national champions for the better part of a decade and a half and and so when i take a look at this and i look at arizona state and i look at where they are in the valley they have never been less relevant john and 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 you know the vibe out here this is a transient uh, market full of a lot of sports fans from a lot of different places, and and but but the fact of the matter is there has been one disappointment after another after another after another. So even though you are offering up a very large television market in the fifth largest city in the United States, you are not offering up a fully vested college market, and and those are just the facts. And and and, and until I don't know until ASU finds a higher plane because there's a lot of there's a ton of disenchantment with Ray Anderson. There's a ton of, of skepticism of, of why Herm Edwards is still coaching here. There's a ton of skepticism about what Michael Crow is doing in terms of trying to guide this organization um, to, to reach the kind of athletic goals that they should have for a school commensurate of their size. It, it, there's just a lot of confusion, period, full stop. Dan, you, you mentioned Herm Edwards. It, I kind of think this in a weird way takes the pressure off of that equation at media day i think 
you know, coming up here in uh, what couple of weeks, we'll, we'll be talking about UCLA and USC. Does this, in some weird way, help Arizona State in, in under in that respect? Yeah, yeah. I, I think what ASU has kind of realized is that whatever is coming, if if the NCAA still has any kind of teeth, if they ever, if they even have a sanctioning body left in them, if they have any authority left in them then we're going to lean on Herm Edwards to ride this thing out. And I think pragmatically they've realized that if we need to clean house, this is not the time to do it. And I think they're basically um, leaning on Ray to lean on Herm to, 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 to clean up this mess, if you will. It's, it, it's really it, it's a terrible irony to, to Sun Devil fans in the Valley who, like I said earlier, finally saw this school recruiting on a level that they hadn't done in a long time, finally taking advantage of those down years at USC and UCLA, finally getting into into Southern California and in those markets to the point where they were, uh, yeah, I mean, quite brazenly flexing about it on Twitter. I, I, I just, I, I think the school got to the point where they they began to get real cavalier with the rules at a time when they didn't even need to because the one thing they had going for them, they had recruiting going in their favor. They had ESPN as a powerful uh, propaganda arm behind Herm Edwards, and, and either they got greedy too fast, too quick, um, but they, they got themselves in a predicament now where they've lost a lot of the trust of the market here, and that's not going to recover overnight. So, it, 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 like I said, the craziest thing is is the heft of this story, the heft of the Pac-12 kind of breaking apart before our very eyes and the attempts to put it back together without USC and UCLA, it, it's not a story that is gaining the kind of traction here in Arizona that it should because only, people only care about the Suns and what they're doing and the Cardinals and their quarterback and what they're doing, and they pretty much lost faith in ASU football and the Diamondbacks and the Coyotes all simultaneously. We're Welcome talking to, to Arizona where it's yeah. 120 degrees. In the <laughs> We're talking to Dan Bickley, Arizona Sports 98.7 FM. Also writes a column there, uh, fantastic writer, uh, great radio show host. What I what I learned about you as well, Dan, uh, tell me about Whiskey's Quicker. It's a tribute band. Well, how nice of you to ask, man. About, about 12 years ago, um, I grew up as a teenager around music and around musicians, and, and I loved it more than anything. And I got to the point about 15 years ago, maybe 12 to 15 years ago, where I thought, you know what? It, the the one thing I will always regret if I never attempt to do would be to play music live in front of an audience with a group of like-minded friends. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to do this. And and through trial and error, through bringing in a lot of different people, uh, I've actually surrounded myself with four um, pro-level musicians. I am literally barely more than a hack just trying to do whatever you can to hang on but but i'm surrounded by guys who are absolutely spectacular and it's been one of the coolest experiences of my life to, to kind of get involved in the in the um the energy exchange between a group on stage and an audience i say this all the time if you're in a good rock band and you take the stage and and if you're sober and you're good you're going to get a good response from the fans. <laughs> it's much different. It's much different in athletics, where you have to compete against another human being who wants to take your head off. So that's kind of what I've learned there, John. All right, I'm going to play a, a little clip from one of your shows. Oh. Here it goes. Here's Whiskey's okay, here Quicker go. with Dan Bickley. Are you singing here, or what are you doing? No. What song are you playing here? Uh, 
Uh, it's the cover of it's the one on your website, Evenflow. Uh, can't I'm just gonna play it. Okay. You tell me after. Here we go. <laughs> I like it, man. Right, you, know you, know, you know what that is? Believe it or not, man, that was the day after a Diamondbacks game where my band was performing at Chase Field where Bronson Arroyo, you remember him starting yeah. pitcher? Yeah. Bronson Arroyo, he joined us. That is Bronson Arroyo on vocal singing that song with my band um, as the musical accompaniment. How about I, that? I love that. How about that? I love that you're having well, fun, you, man. man. You sound like you're having fun there, which is the point of things, right? Like... It's a job, but you're you're having a good time. Yeah, no, listen, man. It, exactly. We all we all have to chart our paths in life. Do what you love. Do what makes you happy. Right? You know that better than anybody, John. Damn, Bigley. And, and it wasn't that. And it wasn't that long ago that you and I ran into each other at the Kauai Airport, man. Yeah. In Hawaii. Yes. Let's do that again sometime. Let's do Let's it. Do that again sometime. All right. I'm on my way there now. Hey, I need guys. it. All right. Dan. <laughs> I'll Dan, meet you there, bro. <laughs> Dan Bickley, thank you, my friend. Appreciate your time. You got it, man. All right, there he is, Dan Bickley, musician, columnist, radio show. Now, see, now I feel inadequate. I feel like I need to be in a band. Steven, Steven can we get a band going? Yeah, let's uh, let's do it. You got any, got any names to go? Uh, I have no uh, musical talent. That is the issue. I'm, I'm kind of a hype a man. I can hype people up. I can, you know, I'm surprisingly nimble for a 6'2 bigger fella. I can dance a little bit. <laughs> You're nimble. I love that. Sean, can you play an instrument? Uh, No. Not musically nimble, but like Steven, I can dance a little bit. Yeah, I think we, I can dance a little bit. We got no talent, though. We have no music. We I'm can't have everybody with tambourines and hype hype guys. Yeah, I'm really good at like jumping up and down with a towel, like waving it. Yeah. See, we got we got like four or five people that can do that. We have nobody who can sing or Peter. play an instrument. Yeah, Peter. Yeah. But he, uh, we got, he's we got, got some one talent. guy. We got one, one, we got guy. one guy. Exactly. We got one. All right. Leave it here. You got the BFT statewide. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Now I'm jealous. Dan Bickley in a band. Known Dan Bickley a long time. He was at the Arizona Republic as a uh, sports columnist before he left to go to do his own thing at ArizonaSports.com. And he is now uh, hosting a radio show there in Phoenix. He's hosted for a long time. Anna's in the studio. Anna, Dan Bickley was just on. He's in a cover band now. Impressive. Yeah. Like, it makes me feel like I'm wasting my time. Like, I need to go. <laughs> what are you doing? What am I doing? <laughs> what would you do in a band? Would you be drummer? No. Uh, guitar? Lead singer? I don't think I'm a good enough guitarist. I've never played a guitar. Like, You'd be a singer. Wouldn't work. I yeah. don't know if I can sing. You can sing. Eh. You could pull it off. Uh, everybody wants to be the hype guy. We've figured that out. Steven <laughs> wants to be the hype guy. Sean wants to jump around. Well, Sean is there, says, is there Sean's, anything cooler than yeah. being like in sports and in a band? He's got it all. <laughs> He's got it all. Dan Bickley joined us. Uh, he lives on the face of the sun, though. It's 120 degrees there Woo! in Phoenix today. Feels like 120 in Oregon. 
Yeah, that's because we're weather wimps. Yeah. You know, we have like a three degree temperature range in which we're comfortable. Yep. It's a be between about 73, 72 and 75. Anything short of that, we complain about how cold it is. Anything warmer than 75, we start to talk about how hot it is. Turn into wimps. Yeah. We, that's what yeah, we do. We're spoiled. I think that happens every, Yeah, but it happens all over. I've, been, I've lived in the Midwest. I've lived in Florida. It does things to you there, too. In the Midwest, you uh, you know you start to get snobby about the snow, like with non, <laughs> so? non Midwesterners. Oh yeah. Oh, you don't know snow. Right. Oh, look at how you close your schools down. We don't do that. <laughs> that's true. You know, but I only lived through one winter there, and it was enough. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying yeah. is people in those parts of the country that have to deal with you know five feet of snow, or conversely in Florida, like hurricanes or tornadoes across the midwest they look at us and they're like you have no idea what it's like yeah. to endure extreme weather to which we have i guess like the ice storm of 20 yeah. no but that, you know what 2020? they say you know what they say i was living in tallahassee florida for a while yeah and they would have storm warnings and they would have you know hurricane or tornado and you know all of a sudden it would just lightning storm and flash floods and yeah all that. But they'd go. They would say, "At least we don't have earthquakes like you guys have out there." Right. And, and I always was like, "You yeah, know, but the earthquakes, you know, it's not like it's 1906 in San Francisco or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I was I lived through the 1989 earthquake in San Francisco where the Bay Bridge collapsed. Like yeah. I, I, you know, was was going to school down there, not maybe. 30 or 40 miles from San Francisco and I was on the road the day that earthquake hit and I thought I had a flat tire like normally you do not feel an earthquake yeah and I pulled over because I was like I have a flat and everybody else was pulling over and looking under their car too like everybody's like what <laughs> and then I looked up at a telephone pole and the telephone pole was like from a cartoon it was just going wonk wonk Ugh. wonk back and forth oh that makes my stomach yeah hurt. and I was like that, that was an earthquake yeah and uh, so they say that, but I'm like, earthquake's not that big a deal because it's not – there's almost no time to worry about the earthquake when it's happening. Yeah. It happens, it's over mm -hmm. if, if it goes well. Mm -hmm. But like the hurricane warning, tornado weather warning yeah. comes with like six hours of angst right. and boarding up your windows. Right. I'll take the earthquake, you know? Yeah. Earthquakes like someone walking by you and slapping you on the <laughs> you'll, cheek. You'll take the earthquake except for the really big one in yeah. which, you know, hey. portions of our state will just disappear. I'm all good with <laughs> except for that one. I'm all good with like my San Francisco Giants in nineteen eighty nine, they were in the World Series that day when the earthquake hit. Yeah. October the seventeenth, nineteen eighty nine. Wow, look at you. Um, Giants and A's were playing game one yeah. of the World Series. Oh. When that happened. Yeah. And I was listening to game one, the opening of game one on the radio, and they were doing just kind of the pregame introductions when the earthquake hit. Mm -hmm. And you know, I was scrambling home to watch the game. And uh, the A's went on to win that World Series. I kind of felt like the Giants we're more we're more tuned into like this was a serious thing lives were lost you know they were out you know people i'm sure there were some a's as well like dave stewart was out you know helping dig people out of trouble but i don't know why baseball played that series so f rapidly after that earthquake yeah like they were still digging cars out of the you know collapsed bay bridge and they Jeez. were like play ball <laughs> You know, like i don't think if it happened today they would i think they would have postponed by a couple of weeks you think should have 
Giants might have won it if they did that. <laughs> Instead, the A's and Jose Canseco won a World Series. But oh well. Uh, Anna, I told the story earlier in the show. If listeners have been here from the beginning of the show, forgive me. But I told the story about my dad going through the Dutch Bros drive through yesterday. Nice warm day. <laughs> it's in the 90s. My dad, who's in his 70s, uh, approached the barista window and encountered an enthusiastic barista. And this is what you get at Dutch Bros. Like, that's kind of the magic of that windmill kiosk is you get somebody who is uh, excited that you're there, which oh, yeah. is really cool. And it's, you know, and I've talked with Joth, who is the CEO of Dutch, and I've told him, I'm like, man, whatever you're doing to hype up kind of the baristas before their shift, it's working, man, because you go in there and I defy you. Like, you might not be into their coffee. You might not be into the sugar. You might not be even to caffeine. Maybe you don't drink coffee. But I defy you to go through Dutch Bros and listen to the music that's being played and hear the kids kind of in the back. Yeah, here we go. And order a drink and not feel better about it. Okay? Bottom line, when you go to Dutch Bros, while you're laughing, I'm laughing because... They wouldn't be playing this song. Why not? You don't think it's so? It's too old. They'd be playing more current music. No. This is like circa 20, what, 18? It's a classic. I'll give you that. Oh, I, I don't think that this is off the playlist at Dutch Bros. You don't think so? Steven, is that on the playlist, Dynamite, Teo Cruz? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think <laughs> it's a little old. Thanks for bagging me up. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Um, <laughs> Anyway, Dad gets up to the window, long story long, and, uh, and he, uh, he says, uh, she says, how are you doing today? Which they do. Well, they say that. Yeah. And, or what are you doing today? And I always go, I'm working like you are. Like, you know, grump. No. But my dad goes, it's 94 today. And she says, happy birthday. <laughs> He's only 70-something. He looked, when he told the story, uh-huh. his feelings were a little bit hurt, uh-huh. but I think he was also a little hurt by the way that the rest of us all doubled over laughing. The mirth from the rest of us. And, and I think he was troubled by the fact that, you know, this story had already, like within minutes, this story made the rounds throughout the entire family, you know? <laughs> and so I think he was a, a little uh, miffed about that. Like, wait a minute, come on, this is my story. How, how, why does everybody already well, know it? And then I told him I put it on Twitter, which I did. <laughs> and he was like, no, you didn't. Mortified. No, you didn't put it on Twitter. And I said, yes, I put it on Twitter. And then my mom immediately was like, yes, 300 likes. <laughs> No, like. <laughs> we went around the dinner table as we sometimes do, and we said, you know, what was your highlight of the day? What are you looking forward to? And the best part of my, the highlight of my day was your mom saying that was the highlight of her day when <laughs> someone thought that he was ninety-four years old. <laughs> well, it happens. And, and, oh, and speaking brutal. of uh, thinking we're old, the Dynamite song came out in twenty ten. Okay. Oh, 2010. Not that old. Woo. So, yeah, not. I think it's out of the rotation. 12 years. <laughs> yeah, it's out. <laughs> eh, it's yeah. Not that old. Give it another couple of years. So, it'll be considered retro. I'll tell you what. I'm going to go. <laughs> next time I'm in Vegas, yeah. we're going to one of those pool parties again. <laughs> You're going to put okay? in a request? I'm going to say, hey, can you play Dynamite <laughs> by Teo Cruz? 
do wish the DJ would be like, no. I, I was I just got back from Vegas yesterday. They in fact did not play Teo Cruz at yeah. the pool. What did you, oh you went to the pool? I did. Or right, why are we talking about anything else but what happened at the pool? Well, in Vegas. Yeah. Come on, let's talk about in Vegas. general. What now, happened in Vegas? Well, lots of things happens in Vegas. I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> no, I mean nothing. Uh, nothing too substantial at the pool. We were at the Flamingo for some reason. I don't know why. I actually have a story. What year was this? Exactly. That's, <laughs> okay, so here, here's the thing. I got a story for it. So my wife my wife and me are big Cosmo people, and she's a big gambler. So she gets free comps, but she's not high enough yet to get weekend comps. She gets weekday comps. Okay. And so we had to stay on the weekend you know, with the job, and we, kind of, and we went with uh, her sister and her husband, and they could only go on the weekend. So we had to go cheaper just for that reason. So that's why we were there. We're usually Cosmo people. What is your wife gambling? What does she play? Oh, she's a big slot person, and she's good at it. Really? You can get comped for playing sl- slots? And by the way, how are you good at slots? I, you know what? I don't know, but she is, and it is insane to watch. She will win. I mean, we got there to Vegas. Within five spins, She I, and I watched her, five times she touched the board or the button, she had won $600. What? What? I'm is she joking. playing... Dollar slots, five dollar slots, pennies. Well, what? Well, so she she plays penny slots, but she bets you know like three or four dollars a spin. Okay. And okay. So, yeah. So it ended up getting like a bonus, and then and then she went to a different machine, and that was on the second spin she got a bonus. She went to a different machine, bonus on the third spin. Wow. No way! She's, I want to go to Vegas with lucky. your wife. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe some of her good luck will rub off on me. It, it does not rub off on me, I can tell you that. Well, but you're along for the ride. You're at the Flamingo. Who was playing? Bing Crosby? Sinatra? <laughs> Who was playing? Uh, they do have Wayne Newton there still. <laughs> they do? They wow. do. I saw wow. Wayne. Uh, he, he, you know, he's looked better. But, uh, <laughs> well. well. But they uh, at the Flamingo pool, they were playing a lot of old hits. You know, they played Will Smith, Fresh Prince, Summertime. Yeah. Uh, they played I Love When You Call Me Big Papa. See, John, maybe that's our place, and we just didn't know it. We need to go there. Yeah. yeah Wayne Cos- Newton. Cosmo. I've been to, like, those wax museums. Is Wayne Newton looking like a wax museum? He actually yet? does. I actually said that exact same thing to my wife. <laughs> yes. As long as he has the same plastic surgeon as Cher, then then he's good. Then he's good. i got to say something. Cher was walking around when we saw her. Yeah. She was, like, how old? I don't know. 94? No. <laughs> she's in her 80s, I think. She, she looks was phenomenal. She had on, I don't think it was a G-string. What was that? Uh, pretty close. It's pretty close. Pretty close. She's right? 70, like, seventy-six. She's seventy-six. Okay. She she wore that outfit from Turn Back Time. Yeah. You know the, uh, the sailor the the ship outfit. That thing that looks like it's just black ribbon wrapped around her body. I have no idea what you're talking about, but from I, the music video. But the I, famous. I never music saw video. the famous music video. We only had two channels. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't have MTV. You didn't have um, YouTube. YouTube and Google. Uh, yeah, not at when I was a kid. No. If oh. I would have had YouTube, I would have been a billionaire because I would have been like, I invented YouTube. <laughs> you know, so um, it, but she, her hammies were out, okay? Yeah. Her hammies were out. Yeah. They were on display in yeah. Vegas. Yeah. And she was, you said 76, Stephen? Oh, uh, yeah, 76. She looked good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 She looks great. 
Yeah. Now I, I can tell you, up. Wayne Newton did not look good for his age. I don't know what he, how old he is, but I don't uh, want to see Wayne Newton in a G-string. Sometimes it's disturbing when you see performers who are that old. You feel a little bit like, is this like a Weekend at Bernie's episode? Like, is this person really <laughs> alive? Are they just propped up right now? Well, I thought David Copperfield was a little bit that way. When you know, we went. And yeah, saw but him. he might have been like that since he was twenty-five. Though. Yeah, that's but his persona. How, like, how old was David Copperfield? Again, mystery age. Like, he could be anywhere between fifty uh, and I seventy-eight. Think he's, uh, I think he's in his seventies. Yeah, I think he is, but he looks like he's forty-eight. It yeah. just depends on what the temperature is and what he says. Oh, it's yeah. ninety-four. Oh, yeah. happy birthday. <laughs> that's it. But Copperfield was interesting because he was not a real human being in my mind. Like, yeah. I've interviewed a lot of people. Okay. Yeah. I know how to get to the core of somebody. Yeah. I couldn't get to him. No. I couldn't get him to be authentic. I couldn't get him out of his rhythm. Yeah. He was uh he has a lot a wall of defense up. Yeah. That is um you know impenetrable. Uh, essentially. <laughs> I mean we had him we had him on the show. Yeah. Like we interviewed him. Yeah. We hung around after the show. We got to sit in one of those little U-shaped booths uh-huh. that with David Copperfield, just Anna, me, and David Copperfield just shooting yeah. the breeze, yeah. talking about magic, I talking know. about radio. It was bizarre because same thing, like, you know, uh, uh, you and I both, like, I think we are able to get to who people really are a lot of the time. Yeah. yeah like their core personality and kind of strip away the facade, strip away the talking points and I think we both kind of pride ourselves on that. But during that interview with him, I kept feeling like, uh, the interview was going to end, and then he was going to rip a mask off his face like on an episode of Scooby-Doo, and somebody else completely was going to be underneath, you know? Like, I just wasn't sure he was ever really there. I could play a little bit of a cut from that if, uh, Stephen, you turn my board back up. Yeah, uh, But I am going to play just a tiny little, just to give people a taste, because I always feel like we tell people, I, I like them to hear it themselves. But So the scene was essentially we watched Copperfield's show, then uh, his publicist told us to stick around and, uh, you know, he would meet with us privately. And so there was like some meet and greets and stuff. We had to kind of watch people go through that. And then Copperfield, Anna, and I sit in this booth and we have this interview. I don't know where I am in the interview, but I'm just going to play a, just, just a snippet of it so you can understand. Like the guy would just not let us get to know him. I found a card that... He was stationed in Roswell. Never told us. That's true. Wow. And everything else you can decide what's true or not. Yeah. It's, it, and it's, I think it's so interesting to have that positive encouragement at an age when you hear people in sports all the time who say, oh, you're never going to play professional sports. That, that doubt that you talked about. My mother gave me that doubt. My yeah. mother was uh, constantly telling me I couldn't do it. And I loved her for it because it really yeah. made me stronger. It made me work harder. So I've talked about on Oprah a few times. Uh, yeah. uh, it's uh, kind of a good balance of, of, of negative and positive, but it, for me it worked. You really seem to carry that with you. I mean, I can tell him that some of that not saying about your dad is painful and, yeah. and still to this day, yeah. isn't it? Well, I mean, we all have our own stories like that. Yeah. You know, I'm certainly not alone. And I walk in the audience. I watch people, you know, crying or yeah. being very uh, touched by it because in their own way, they, they can relate to it. David Copperfield talking about his dad, but not really talking about his dad. But not really dad, talking about his know? dad. Yeah, exactly. That was a perfect deflection answer, wasn't it? Yeah. Wasn't it? Like, he never yeah. really... He kind of like reiterated what you said and then just spilled it back on to how everybody can relate to it. Because I thought I had him. I know with that thing because he was talking about his mother. His mother was incredibly negative. Told him you're not going to amount to anything. You're no good. Yeah. Nothing. And he says he thanked her for it, but I think there's a lot of pain in there. 
Yeah. I think he has to say that now. Mm-hmm. But then his whole act was about his dad who right. died young. Yeah. And I said, you know, there's a lot of pain in there, isn't there? And I just stopped yeah. because it puts all the pressure on him. Right. And he says, oh, I talked about it on Oprah, but he's not really talking about it. And then he says, you know, <laughs> I see other people crying because yeah. they're having their own experience. And then he glosses right over right. it. <laughs> Never got there. And that is a tactic, isn't it? Some, like, as an interviewer, is there anything that drives you more nuts than when an interviewer is too heavy-handed with the questioning process? Yes, too long. Too yeah. many, just shut up. Ask the question and shut up. Mm-hmm. How so? Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. Is it painful? How so? Right. That's the question. Get out of the way. But often you will find an interviewer who is eager to tell the audience how smart they are, how much they know, or, or maybe the interview subject. You find this in sports. Some of the reporters who I think feel insecure about covering the sports and asking questions will ask the coach a question that's not really a question. It's just, let me tell you that I'm paying attention. It's question. a statement question? Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you were going uh, double tights and, you know, the A-gap there, I know, <laughs> and you know, we're all in the rest of the room, I'm going, for heaven's sakes, man. That's a private question. I don't want to be talking about the A-gap in here. I don't right. know what an A-gap is. Leave it here. You got the BFT statewide. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.